What if we could look at our money with joy and gratitude instead of shame and blame? In this episode, I chat with money coach Loren Cognafranca about how to do just that. We also chat about her own financial journey and how she helps others with their money. The Mental Health and Wealth Show, the Mental Health and Wealth Show, the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Thank you so much for listening to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. This is host Melanie Locker. And first of all, I want to acknowledge that you are brave and amazing for being here. Getting ready to listen to a show about mental health and money is not easy, and I know you are ready for these amazing conversations. But before you listen, I want to let you know that all of my content is based on my own personal experience with mental health and money, as well as the experiences and expertise of my guests. I'm not a mental health professional or a financial professional, so content should not be considered professional, medical, or financial advice. As a trigger warning, please note that content on the show may include sensitive topics around mental health and suicide. So if you're currently in distress, please get in touch with a professional by texting HOME to 741-741. Thank you so much and enjoy the show. This is Melanie Lockhart, host of the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Today, I'm interviewing Loren Kanyafranca, a money coach dedicated to helping people cultivate a more joyful relationship with money. She is an accredited financial counselor in Canada and has a 12-week coaching program called Reset and Rise that promises a judgment-free space where she helps clients relieve the stress of their debt, learn money management systems that make them feel safe to dream again, and engage with their money joyfully. Loren is passionate about people and spent 10 years as a massage therapist holding space for clients to release stress from their body and now helps people relieve the stress out of their money. Through her own money journey, she found passion for personal finance and became certified in cash flow management and financial counseling so that she could help others who felt like they needed help getting out of autopilot and stepping into their financial power. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me, Melanie. Super excited to chat with you. I love everything that you're doing and love all of your values around money and business. So let's dive right in. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about your personal money story and what inspired you to get into this work. Yeah, it's sort of a right turn, you know, to go from healthcare into personal finance, but there's really a a lot of overlap. And so to give you a little bit of an overview of where I come from and how I came into this, um, it was probably... It was 2016 when uh, we were expecting, my partner and I were expecting our third child and we sort of had been struggling with money. It stopped being like easy, you know, Mm -hmm. you sort of get to a point where you kind of max yourself out and there's nowhere left to go. And we decided to have a real look at our finances and we realized that with student loans and a vehicle and credit cards, we had over $100,000 in debt. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a little bit of a, a shake awake, you know, when you go, okay, I have this baby coming. I'm self-employed. My partner is self-employed. I was going to be off work. How are we going to navigate this? And so I took to social media to get some advice. I thought, oh, there's got to be some somebody who's been in this situation who could help me. And my entry point was sort of the more old school, traditional uh you know, akin to bodybuilding contest prep where you're going to suffer. <laughs> yeah. We're going de- to dehydrate you. You're going to be like unhappy while you make that you're going to punish yourself in order to uh, yeah. attain this goal. 
And so mm-hmm. I did that. I I got myself on a on a budgeting app and I went, you know, full throttle at this debt thing and I I stressed myself out worse than I probably ever felt. Um I had this like constant anxiety and this like compulsive need to balance the budget. Um, every cent, you know, I, I went from having this like beautiful, happy relationship with my partner. I was a present parent to like, don't talk to me while I'm doing the budget. And, and I was upset with my partner if he spent $4, you know, and and we paid off $30,000 of debt principal in a year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, (laughs) we were suffering, uh, nobody had new clothes. There was nothing to show for it. And so you can only do that for so long before you start to like unravel. <laughs> and, and I did unravel and, and we ended up going back into debt because, you know, then the hot water tank breaks and the, all of the things start to rain on you and all of your progress gets swallowed up. And then you say, Oh, like, forget this whole thing. Why did I even bother? Right. You sort of like surrender to this. And, uh, at the time, we had this little baby and I sort of went through this 12, 18 month period where I was like very hard on myself and my partner opened another restaurant. I had saved up an emergency fund. It was great. Uh, My husband opened a restaurant and we had to use our emergency fund. And then the pandemic hit and I was like, Oh boy. Oh boy. And so I again, turned to social media and went, okay, there's gotta be some help here. And all I found was you should have been prepared. I told you, you, sh- you should have, this is why you should have a, an emergency fund. And I, I just like, Oh, I am in an, emer- I am having a financial emergency. And the folks who I was looking to, to support me are saying, I told you so. Mm-hmm. And I went, Oh, this can't be, this can't be the way. So I sort of just like recoiled <laughs> Yeah, I, I shut down everything that I was doing because I was going, oh, I'm using shame and contempt as a way to get people to interact with me or as a way to get people to potentially follow me. And it wasn't being wasn't potentially or wasn't, um, excuse me, overly successful mm-hmm. <laughs> that way. So I sort of just, you know, battened down the hatches and tried to weather the storm. I like I mentioned, it was a massage therapist. And so. I had no work. I was, you know, we were all quarantining and and locked down and I wasn't working. My husband's restaurant took a huge hit, (laughs) still, still managing, managing that storm. But, um, I just said, I can't deal with this. And I started to look at money in a different way. I had to do it in a more sustainable way. And I started to develop a system for, okay, how can we manage our money so that it's not do or die? So that it's something that we could actually live with at this state of our life. And as we grow, we can be mindful of where we put our money and what our money is doing for us so that it's serving us and so that we can approach it with, you know, security and joy and gratitude instead of punishment. And so once I sort of developed a way to do that, I started with the accredited financial counseling program that I took because I wanted to approach money with a real um, consideration for the emotional side of it, right? That's what mm-hmm. your focus is. And that's what my focus is because ultimately the math is fairly simple. 
you know, add, subtract, that sort of thing. And so when I reapproached, I, I was very certain that I was going to not use shame or judgment when working with people. And I just found a way that's less tedious and less, uh, you know, uses systematic banking and some more strategy and some self-compassion. I love that. Thanks so much for sharing your personal story. And I think you brought up so many good points about kind of sustainability. And, you know, when you get into that kind of zealous, fanatical state of paying off debt, it can feel very exciting at first, but then, yeah, you deplete yourself completely and you start dissolving. And yeah, you mentioned you paid off $30,000 in that first year, but your relationship was suffering, your kids were suffering, you didn't have any new clothes. And, you know, it's really important to think about what are the other costs when you're paying off debt? Like, you know, you might be paying down the principal and the interest, but it affects other areas. And I've mentioned this on the podcast before that, you know, a lot of people are inspired by my debt payoff story. You know, I paid off $81,000. 68,000 of that was in four and a half years. And while I'm happy to be an inspiration to people, I also, through this podcast, want to let people know, like, I wouldn't necessarily recommend doing it the way that I did it because (laughs) my then relationship did suffer and ultimately ended later on, but that wasn't necessarily the complete reason, but Mm -hmm. it, you know, definitely affected that and affected my mental health and my physical health. And so many other things. And I definitely feel like we're in a state right now, especially with the way the world is, that we have to enjoy the right now as well, because the future is looking uh, pretty, pretty interesting right now. Yeah. We, we don't know what that's going to look like. So, I mean, we have to have some fun now and enjoy what we have. And that means our mental health and our physical health and our friends. And so finding a way to pay off debt sustainably. So it's not like, the equivalent of a crash diet financially, mm-hmm. but something that's a, a lifestyle change, something that can be worthwhile and be part of the work of your life and your finances. So I think that that's so great that you've turned this into a business and helping others. And I love that you say that you work with others on creating a judgment-free space in your money coaching. I think that's so key. Why do you think that judgment never works and how do you do things differently? You know, you're right. It's it's about finding a balance between yourself now and yourself in the future. And as it pertains to judgment, it's also about showing compassion and empathy for the past versions of yourself. I think a lot of us, uh, most of us, I would I would uh, say, have a a critical voice inside of us that when we make a mistake is really quick on the front lines to be like, what are you thinking? How could you do that? What a mistake. Look what you've done. And if you are brave enough to talk to somebody about something as personal as money or as personal as a mistake you might've made, and that inner critic is affirmed by an outside voice, odds are you're probably never going to take that chance again right? If you're vulnerable with the wrong person. And so to me, I'm very, very mindful of being open and understanding and empathetic to all of the ways that people get into debt. You know, I've walked a lot of the things that my clients have dealt with, you know, I've been scammed, I've 
overspent in the bar. I've done all the things, you know, I've blown my money here. So now I have to buy groceries with my credit card. I've done a lot of those things and and made a lot of those mistakes and had the six figures of debt. And it wasn't, you know, noble, I'm air quoting here, but noble debt. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what, you know, show me what you got. I, I probably had some version of it myself and I've been working for years on empathizing with that version of who I was and that self-protection that that version of Loren was doing for me. And so it's, it's about balancing all the parts of you. And so I think that it doesn't work because if you beat yourself up, it it's like you said, akin to a crash diet. Yeah. Okay. You can get results in 30 days to fix your finances or 30 days to have a hot bot or whatever it is. But what happens at the end of that? usually there's a cheat, right? Like a, Mm. a backswing where, oh, okay, now we're in this perpetual state of debt. We're refinancing and rolling our debt into our mortgage. And we're in this perpetual state of, of easy fixes. And if we can actually create a lifestyle change where we're taking into consideration, our mental health, taking into consideration, our physical health, our relationship health, our, our overall well-being in a holistic fashion, then we can actually have sustainable change and hit our goals right? We're, you know, certain of our goals and flexible with the path. And, and even if that changes, that's, that's okay, too. It's about choice. Yes, I love that. And I think you brought up so many important points, especially as it relates to creating a judgment free environment. I mean, I think we've seen this during the pandemic during any career transitions that Shame and blame never make anyone do anything. I mean, people don't change their minds by being shamed into a choice. People, if anything, want to rebel even further or be far, far away from it. Yeah, they get defensive. Yeah, they get defensive and traumatized and triggered. I mean, think of any kind of negative relationship you may have had where you feel hesitant to get into something similar again because you don't want to experience those feelings. And it's the same thing with a money coach. I mean, a money coach is a relationship, a very deep, intimate relationship that is personal and money is a taboo topic. And so if you're going to be sharing your finances with someone else, you don't want them to basically say like, you're an idiot or like, why'd you do that? Or this is the wrong way. It's like, that's not going to help anybody. And yeah, I agree. If you encounter someone like that, it is time to run. And I love that you're using your personal experience to show others that you've been there, done that, you've got yourself out of it. And I think there's so much value in sharing personal experiences because it can make you relatable in a way that maybe other professionals, you know, can't. And I feel like you can walk the walk and talk the talk and show people that things can be done in a different way. Yeah. And even to highlight, like I'm, I've been through quite a bit financially and I'm not all the way out of the woods, you know, I'm, I'm, and that some imposter syndrome comes up, but I'm not the money coach who's debt free, Mm -hmm. but I have a sustainable plan that I can work, that I can count on so that, because, you know, the last year and a half has shown us, has shown my family, especially that uh, our, our businesses were not pandemic proof. Mm-hmm. And so we have a sustainable plan so we could stay coarse and we just reduced how much extra we were putting toward it so that we could still buy healthy groceries and we can still, you know, take our kids to do the odd thing or, 
have an experience and not just shut down all of their early childhood experiences to be nothing because <laughs> yeah. mommy and daddy have to fix their, their debt. It's, uh, we can have a whole healthy life without being in punishment mode. And so we're on track and we've been on track despite all of the, the turmoil that's happened in this last year and a half. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, you brought up another important point about pandemic proof businesses. I mean, nobody could have seen the severity of this and how it would impact the global economy. And obviously, this has decimated so many people's livelihoods and businesses. And yes, I think it's important to, you know, quote, pandemic proof your business as much as possible. But I also, once again, want to reiterate with the compassion for you and your husband and for anyone listening who have been in similar situations, like, there was no reason for us to believe that this was even a possibility to this extent, you know, and so it's been incredibly traumatizing. And while we're still living in that trauma, I mean, I think so many of us are going back to survival mode of, you know, let me just take care of this and get through this mm-hmm. and try to be as happy and quote normal as possible because yeah, things are still difficult right now. I mean, Delta variant is going all over the country and the world and it seems like this is just not ending anytime soon. And, you know, we, we definitely still want to enjoy our money to the extent that we can while still trying to improve our lives. Yeah. And to still prioritize the things that keep us healthy, right? Right. Versus just the like full shutdown. But so many people, I mean, some people did really well. You know, the pandemic had the opposite effect to their finances. And a lot of people uh, were sort of bulldozed by it. So there's this increased disparity financially through this. and, And my hope is that people who have had to amass some debt over this time, that they're that they give themselves some compassion and know that they were protecting themselves and that they can have gratitude that that was available to them to cover them when they needed it. Yes. That brings me to my next question about your Instagram series on reasons people are in debt. I would love for you to share more about those reasons and why we should destigmatize debt. But before we uh, hear from you, I want to just share um, based on what you just said, when I was active with my blog, Dear Debt, you know, which is all about writing breakup letters to debt, I remember I invited the community to write these breakup letters to debt. And, you know, some were funny, some were sad, some were heartbreaking. And I remember the first time I got a letter that was like, Dear Debt, thank you so much for keeping me off the streets and mm-hmm. preventing me from being homeless. Mm-hmm. Dear Debt, thank you so much for feeding my kids. And I was just like weeping reading this Dear Debt letter. And I was like, wow, here I am writing angry, comical letters to debt. Like, I hate you. I'm so over you. (laughs) And, you know. Taylor Swift style. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, this was like a fresh new perspective of like, oh my gosh, yeah. Like, debt has really helped some people avoid homelessness, avoid hunger. Mm -hmm. And that was just a complete kind of paradigm shift for me in my own journey. And to be like, yeah, we have to destigmatize debt and think about things differently because there are people in that situation. So once again, going back to your series on um, reasons people are in debt, you know, let's break it down. Yeah, I, I did a, I started to write a list of like reasons why people are in debt. And so I ended up making it like four parts because I had quite a few and I probably could keep going. But a lot of times when we 
you know, look at the social side of debt, uh, there's this low hanging fruit of blaming shopping. Oh, you have a, you have a shop too much money. Oh yeah. You have a shopping habit. Like clearly if you just had some discipline, you'd Mm -hmm. be as good as me. Right. That that it's so tired. I'm so tired of it. And so it's, it's it's always geared towards women. Yes. Oh, it's so, it is so aimed at women because women do generally, I think statistically do the majority of the shopping, but they also oftentimes do the majority of the like household management. And that means that they're making the decisions about paying bills and doing all of the things. And, and sometimes they have a partner or any of us, whether whoever, however we identify might have a partner that is, has their own agenda, you know, and, mm-hmm. and there's some sap, there's lots of complex layers. Um, and so I wanted to highlight that. So some of the things that I've seen in my clients is, uh, financial abuse. Yeah. Where money is, you know, restricted and they have no other choice. They can't, maybe can't leave a situation because of money. Um, predatory lenders. I've experienced this, you know, call you up. Hey, we have this great opportunity for you. It's going to help you build your credit. Oh gosh. Um, Yeah. Right. Uh, divorce is very expensive. Sometimes a diagnosis, like if you have complex PTSD, you might, have, you know, gone into March of last year and been amassing all of the supplies because that made you feel safe. You know, you might need a really full refrigerator as a safety measure for yourself. You know, if you have ADHD, you might be chasing dopamine and maybe managing a tedious budget is just too overwhelming and it's not something you can maintain. And, and, you know, we, we have complexity as, as people, we might have student loans, we might have taken a, a risk and started a business. And and like you mentioned, maybe you lost your job and in order to avoid sleeping in your car, you paid your mortgage with your line of credit. And and if we can just be grateful and, and compassionate to those parts of of what a, a money relationship looks like, it's it's not, you know, trajectory A to B, nothing like smooth sailing. There's life happens in between and and there's a lot of these uh, parts of us that that don't get put into the equation, even just our own internal scripts about money. You know, I, I grew up middle class, uh, you know, no complaints. I, I never sort of lacked any of my security items. I didn't really get anything extra. I'm one of five children. So there wasn't this like big spoiled nature at all. But because I had a, my dad is a chiropractor. I lived in a small town. My friends were uh, like my, my friend's parents worked in mines and mills, lumber mills to them. I was this rich kid and it, that didn't really align with what I felt I was experiencing. And so amassing wealth othered me. So this idea that if I have money, then that's going to make me be unrelatable to the people that I hope most to relate to. Mm, and so yeah. I can't actually keep this money. I don't feel safe keeping it because it will, make the people that I love think that I think I'm better than them. We have all of these very complex things. And while I'm definitely not a a therapist, my job as a coach is to hold space for these parts of your story and to acknowledge and validate them and help you to continue to expand and, and discuss in a safe place how you feel about your money so that if you need to go to the next step to see a financial therapist or you you're ready to go to the next step and meet with a financial planner, you feel confident and empowered to do so. Oh, you brought up so many great points. And 
I love that you mentioned, you know, life happens and that can be a large cause of debt, you know, whether it's divorce, a car accident, a job yeah. loss, a dental emergency, a cancer diagnosis. I mean, so yeah. many things happen that people don't see coming and it's very hard to prepare for some of those things financially beyond your standard, like save three to six months of expenses. It's like, okay, is that going to cover my cancer diagnosis? I don't know. Like, yeah. or is that going to cover the pandemic? Because it's been longer than six months. That's for sure. And I love that you mentioned this feeling of being othered by being perceived as wealthy and having more money to others, because this is something I've been thinking a lot about lately particularly as it relates to healing, but you mentioned it kind of in the way of money, which I think they're so parallel. It's like, I've been doing so many, so much healing in my personal life and my mental health, you know, from my family and certain toxic habits. And while it feels amazing to heal, it also does make you feel like some of those things that bonded you or connected you together are dissolving and there's like a threat to that mm -hmm. relationship and you're like it feels different or isolating and I think people can definitely feel that as they change their money story and their relationship with money and you know the people that are around them most you know yeah the when when you start to uh, prioritize your own mental health and your boundaries oftentimes the you know, people can feel insulted, like, oh, you're, you're moving away from me, or you think you're better than me, or whatever it is. And it and it's genuinely to model healthy relationship with self and, and your money relationship is no different. So I yeah, I can definitely and it, I mean, it goes both ways too, right? You might have witnessed no money as a child. And so you're just trying to amass it as fast as possible and without really a plan. Mm -hmm. And you, you know, it's like, oh, I can have $100,000 in a savings account and still not feel safe. So there's something else there and, and um, sort of identifying that and then going to the right professional to have that conversation. But yeah, the some of the first steps can be just starting to talk about it with somebody safe. Yes, definitely. I love that. I think it's so important to be able to share these money stories and our money mindset issues because yeah, sometimes it's not even about the number in your bank account. And I was talking about this on another podcast the other day that for so many people, the target amount that they want to have is, you know, consistently never enough. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, I'll feel safe when I have a hundred thousand. Mm -hmm. I'll feel safe when I have a million. And then it's like they get there and then it's like, but then the goalpost moves. Yeah. And they never feel like it's enough. And I interviewed Ken Honda, the author of Happy Money, on this podcast, oh. and he was so amazing and one of his quotes just completely changed my life. And it was like, if you think you have enough money, you do. Yeah. And it just was all about showcasing that it's really our relationship to this feeling mm -hmm. of enoughness. Because so often we attach this arbitrary number, like I'll have enough when, I'll have enough when, but then we keep working towards it, then we meet it, but then the goalpost moves. And then we're just on this hamster wheel, never really enjoying our money, just working all the time. Yeah. When if we get back to basics, like maybe I do have enough. I can pay my rent. I can eat. I can pay my insurance. I can do some fun things. Maybe that is enough for now. Yeah. And while, yes, I still want to strive for more, I have enough. Oh, I love that. And it is that is like you're describing the rat race, right? We do it. 
at the, in terms of being satisfied, like how do we know when we're satisfied? And sometimes it's with money, it's knowing what your numbers are. Like, what do I need to pay my rent and my insurance and have a little fun? Mm -hmm. What is that number? Um, and for a lot of us, we don't know that number. And so when you look at, you take that and you transpose it onto your personal life, well, what does satisfied look like and how do I work backward from that? And am I already there? Yes. And I'm just not giving it, I'm not taking the time to be grateful for it and, or acknowledge it. And that's that gratitude practice is so important to go, Oh, actually my life is pretty great. Um, and yes, it's fair to want to have improvement, but I can treat my current circumstance and I can treat myself with respect in the process. Yes. Love that. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, you talked earlier about um, kind of predatory practices in the finance world. And so I'm curious, you know, how do you think the current financial world and financial systems prey on the most vulnerable? Well, banking originally was set up to benefit white business owners. Um, and it hasn't changed all of that much. Yeah. I would say now that it it's evolved more commercially, it serves white, high paid employees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and if you're anything other than that, and I would say even, you know, white women benefit from banking, but even still, it's still really aimed at really high earning white men. Um, sorry, sorry guys, but that's just, the way it <laughs> yeah, is. Totally. Uh, for, for those who are marginalized, you'll notice neighborhoods that are lower income have more payday loans, have more like opportunities for people to get advances and a lot of advertising that's, you know, labeled as we're here for you when that's not actually true They're They might be here for you to get you to sign on the dotted line, but they're not here for you when things get hard. You know, even last year, a lot of uh, banks were like, Oh, you can defer your mortgage. Uh, that didn't happen out of the kindness of their heart that happened out of self-preservation and, you know, a lot of people's mortgage balances went up last year versus down. And so the, the banks will get their money. Um, a lot of the practices that I see are, you know, calling young people and offering them opportunities to build and improve credit really quickly. You're, you know, you go to buy a vehicle and you're sort of rushed through the paperwork and shown here's the payment in the smallest number that we can legally advertise to you Mm. on a weekly basis or a biweekly basis so that you're looking at, Oh, okay, $200. I can do that. Not thinking some months it's going to be 600 or, you know, not, not thinking about the full amount of the term. Oh, and if we, and if we add these three insurances and this uh, add on, it's, you know, it's only going to increase your payment by $25 a payment, but it actually added $8,000 to your loan. And that number is not really, you know, there's a lot of hand waving that happens when you go to do that. And, and if you're not really well informed and very aware of what you're and like, you know, standing in your power and very aware of what you're, you're here to purchase and what you can afford, then you get kind of bamboozled. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, they, they advertise interest rates as low as they can possibly do, but sort of withhold that they're going to compound it every month. And unless you, or daily, even depending on how how nasty they want to be without you actually going through the fine print and remembering that until the deal is done, you have all the power, but sales, 
you know, salespeople in finance can be very good at making you think that this is your one and only chance. And now, now, now do it now, or this, this deal has gone off the table. They take advantage of that, like uh, fight or flight response in you to make you sign quickly and not ask questions. Ugh, yeah, it's, it's so awful. The pressure that people can feel and then also just getting into situations that they're not fully aware of. I mean, I think of me signing on the dotted line for student loans at age 17. I didn't know what I was doing. My yes. my dad was just like, hey, you want to go to college? Sign here. And I was like, okay. And, you know, I had no idea how interest worked. But when I graduated college, you know, with my bachelor's, I knew I borrowed 18000 But then it was 23000 when I graduated. And I was like, what? And that's the first time I realized, oh, my gosh, it's been accruing interest this whole time. And that was a wake-up call for me to even just understand how interest works. Mm-hmm. It's like you don't know that when you're 17, 18 years old, and yet we're expecting young people to take out the size of a mortgage basically when they're a young adult, and they probably don't know what they want to even do for the rest of their lives. So it's just it's there's so many things to, to criticize oh. and critique. Yeah. Well, and even you're describing somebody that you trust guided you into this process because for generations, people have not been taught about money and how it works. And so you, you know, you, you, that was a trusted individual, not, not some mustached salesperson, you know, the waxed pointy mustache trying to guide you into this back room to sign a document. That's, we got told that going to school is the answer. And this is this noble form of debt. And I'm very fortunate to be Canadian for us. When we're in school, there's no interest. The interest doesn't accrue, but in the States, you, your financial uh, or your student loan scenario is completely different beast. It's uh, it is one of the most predatory practices uh, for anybody. And to be targeting young people who, you know, maybe they took a personal finance class in high school, but the version we have, we watched movies in. So (laughs) I don't know. I don't know anybody who really came out unless they had a parent who really sat down and continued to show them how this works month over month. Mm -hmm. So you can actually see it happening. And I don't, I don't personally know anybody who had that opportunity. Yeah. Same. So much of it is just learning as you go. And then you are forced to learn when you get into a situation where you're like, oh shit, I can't pay this back or I didn't know how this works or what am I doing? Or I didn't understand that I had to pay my credit card every month. And so I just would be in school, go through a semester and then I would pay it when I was working in the summer. But in the meantime, I trashed my credit and I had no idea how it worked. You know, these are stories that I've seen and, and it's like, Oh, we can fix that. Like it's, it's luckily a lot of it. It's not a permanent state. And sometimes it feels like whatever your situation is, is that you're going to be here forever. We get kind of myopic, like this is just what it is forever. And you can change it. And if you do it in a way that's compassionate and emphasizes gratitude and joy um, and security, then it'll get better. Yes. So you help clients step into their financial power. What does that look like in your practice? So for me, one of my greatest hopes for people is to be able to interact with their money in a way that gives them choice. So I want you to be able to say no to something because you don't want to do it, not because you can't. I recently had a client tell me that they bought a vehicle and they were so excited because they said, we knew what we could afford. We knew how much we were willing to pay. 
we didn't budge on the things that we knew that we didn't want or that wouldn't serve us. And we actually left the vehicle buying process feeling empowered. And, and that's what I mean when I say your financial power, that when you have communion with your money and you, you know, are able to talk to your partner or be able to have conversation around money that doesn't put you in a defensive fight or flight, you know, sympathetic response. Mm -hmm. When you can understand where you stand financially, you're able to make decisions from a really like calm, regulated place. And then it's not, it's not quite so scary. And so that, that's what I mean when I say financial power to be able to, you know, one of my favorite uh, responses from a client when they said, you know, I had a conversation with my partner about our budget and what we were going to do, our our plans for the next year. And it was the first time I ever felt equal to them. Mm. You know, I make less money than them. And I always feel like they sort of have the upper hand. And I came into this feeling like we were two equals meeting and making a plan together. Oh, that's so beautiful. And that's the stuff. Yeah, that's the intangible stuff that you can't really quantify. And you can't really, you know, I'm, I'm not the money coach that's like, I help people pay off X number of dollars and da 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 da. Like mm-hmm. those stats are, are are pretty and everything, but it's the, it's the emotional stuff. It's, you know, I had a client who uh, they had an adoption not go through mm-hmm. and they still got hit with that bill. You know, they had a $20,000 loan Ugh. for a child that was in their arms for five minutes. And then the mom changed their, their mind. Ah! And when you, yeah. And when you go to pay that debt, that's a, that hurts every time, right? That's triggering and traumatizing. Yeah. And so that, that takes precedent over, you know, a credit card statement or that takes precedent over, or, or maybe you're ignoring it. And so we, you know, we reunified some of their debt and they managed to pay all of it off in 11 months and they're free of that feeling. And now they're ready to reapproach this again and say, okay, we're going to do this differently. Um, but we're ready to try again. And and it was just too painful before that. And so now they're able to make decisions, not, you know, regretting that past part. They're going, thank you for that experience, whatever we, you know, they took what they took from it to be able to not be in a permanent state of fear around your money or, or every month triggered by this payment that is just a constant reminder. So it, it, money is so emotional. And I know you know that. And I think it doesn't get enough credit when we look at how we talk about money socially. It's mm-hmm. sort of like, oh, what stocks and bonds do you have? And it's like, <laughs> no, <laughs> we need to look at like cash flow management and and how we got where we are and how do we move forward. Yeah. And the way we feel about money, the way life happens and like so many of the stories you've shared, like these are real life situations that money is the primary actor and mm-hmm. These are all real life situations that, you know, can't be neatly contained in a personal finance book or a situation. And so we definitely have to keep all of those things in mind. And so kind of on that note about money mindset issues, you know, what are some common mindset issues around money you see in your practice? Um, Everybody's so unique, but there are are some patterns that sort of emerge. Um, Lots of times I see like, overwhelm in in terms of like practical challenges, uh, overwhelm with budgeting month to month, the maintenance of a monthly budget can sometimes be pretty uh, tedious and tiring and overwhelming for certain folks. I often see with women in particular, uh, 
they won't maybe don't have debt, but they're afraid to invest. Um, and so there's sort of this amassing of money around them as a security. And like we had sort of mentioned before, there's no end point. There's no enoughness. So for them, I'm going, you know, in, uh, inflation's over 5% this year. Like you just leave it there. Like you have, you know, this is how much you need to live. We have this number now and they can say, okay, I'd like to have a year worth of money. Okay. That now we have a number and now we can tell ourselves, okay, this is the number. And now maybe keep everything you have. And from this point forward, we'll move into investing. So uh, fear for investing, fear of charging enough for their services. I work with uh, a couple of sort of mission focused entrepreneurs and their fear of charging even what's, you know, going rate Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes is, is a challenge if you're not used to representing yourself financially. And I, that's when I've struggled with, um, just overall scarcity of what if it all goes away? What if it all crumbles to nothing? And okay, what can we put in place to help you? Uh, certain blocks around what is a lot of money, right? Some people are think like, oh, $100,000 is a lot of money. Right? It, sounds, it sounds like a lot of money. But uh, when you, depending where you live, it's not really. Mm-hmm. Um, so I see a lot of just fear around making money is sort of the biggest one. Or if they make a lot of money, they don't know what to do with it. Yeah. And they're afraid to put it into this mysterious stock market thing. And, and I don't, I don't do any investing for people. I just give them education around what the tools are. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, maybe refer them if, if they require a, a planner, but uh, yeah, I think, I think common is hard because everybody's so individual. Yeah. We just sort of, whatever comes up for you, it depends on, on what stories you've picked up throughout your life, right? Like if, if there was a lot of gatekeeping around money, you might be pretty off put by it. Totally. Right. If there's lots of money in your world and then, you know, you're out on your own and you've amassed this debt because all your life you've sort of just been able to have whatever you want and now you can't seem to pay for it. Like there's some dissonance there. Like, why is this not working? And how do I, how do I rectify it? So I think for, for lots of folks, I I don't know that there's like this one common thing, but I, I would say the biggest mindset issue that I notice and work with is the fear of making money. Mm -hmm. The fear of having enough because then if I'm not okay, then what? Yeah. Right. That means there's more for me to look at. Yeah. And I love that you brought up kind of the fear and the issues around business owners charging what they're worth or even charging going rate. And, you know, as a business owner myself, I've been doing this seven years and my writing rates now are far, far different than what they were year one and two and even in the past couple of years. But it took so much time. And also in seven years, there are, there are seasons too, you know, like mm-hmm. last year, some of my rates were lower because, yeah, demand was lower also. And it's like there are these seasons and there are these fluctuations and it can be really hard to put yourself out there because as a business owner, you are the product you're selling yourself and that can be so difficult and you know putting a price tag on that and then having people reject you potentially all of it can just really mess with your money mindset in a way oh when you talk about rejection you know that fear of of rejection and i think women especially struggle with 
asking and it's not, and it's not what you're worth. It's value for value. You know, your Mm -hmm. work is providing a certain amount of value. And sometimes it's, it's about being able to own the price and being okay if they say no, because that like to be able to fall back into trust and know, okay, well then that's, that wasn't the right opportunity for me anyway. But if your money is tight and you're in this like super, uh, restricted place, then you're going to say yes to things that aren't aligned with you. And you're going to, you know, have to adjust your rates and you're going to have to um, change how you do things. And, and yeah, economy will dictate that sometimes, but oftentimes we're dictating that based on a story we've told ourselves and not really what's happening in the greater picture. Yes, totally. One of my favorite quotes is rejection is redirection. And that's just a helpful kind of mindset shift whenever you're feeling like, oh, how come this person doesn't want me to work with me? And it's like, you don't even know what you're saving yourself from sometimes. So, you know, just think of it that way. And what is yours will come your way. And, you know, but it is a, a, a process of trial and error and a lot of mindset issue can go into that as well. And so, you know, for some people who want to get their money right, but are feeling scared to get started, what are your tips? I love that rejection is redirection. I'm <laughs> going to keep that in my back pocket. Yeah. Um, well, my f- overarching uh, message to anybody who wants to, you know, improve their relationship with their money and improve their financial standing is to be compassionate to all the versions of yourself, compassionate to the past versions of yourself that, you know, you were doing the best that you could and acknowledge that person and, and send that version of yourself love to be mindful that you are still currently living a life and there are way the opportunity cost of putting off the joy for now for, you know, repaying a past debt or, or a future version of yourself, ensure that there's space for the present version of yourself. Cause this is the one that really matters. The other parts don't really even exist yet. So make space for yourself now. And then, don't forget about the future versions of yourself. So to really have a balance and give compassion to all of those uh, ways or existences that you're going to have. And when you're ready to make a decision and sit down with your money, ensure that you're doing it in a regulated state. You know, if you're in a fight or flight or uh, with my kids, we use the zones of regulation as a way to improve emotional intelligence and, you know, the yellow zone is agitated or, or silly or mm-hmm. irritated or whatever, you know, not in a calm state, that's not a good time to approach your money because the risk of going into the red zone or the risk of getting overwhelmed and quitting and going into the blue zone and being sad and defeated is, is too high. Um, so ensure that you're doing mindfulness practices, get yourself a, a drink that you like, be calm, maybe schedule the time to look at it. And start at the beginning. Just say, okay, today, all I'm going to do is get my utility bills together and have an idea of what my utility bill costs. And give yourself permission to do it one step at a time. You don't have to sit down and do a weekend long haul, get it all figured out, make the plan all at once. Give yourself the time and say, okay, over the next month, I'd like to have this sort of figured out, you know, a basic budget or basic spending plan and and be able to do it a little bit at a time so that you don't overwhelm yourself. If this is a new relationship that you're developing, kind of like dating. Yeah. 
jumping right in and being like, hey, we live together now might might be too much, too fast. <laughs> might backfire. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe let's have Slow a little money steady. date. Slow and steady. Slow and steady. Yeah. Let's have a little money date and and know that you're trying to build something that is lasting and sustaining. And that requires that you be a little bit flexible and you leave space for some mobility and and listen to your body's responses. And if you're starting to get uh, dysregulated and you're starting to feel yourself get anxious or or overwhelmed, then just back off and give yourself a break and and know that you can re reapproach this, but make a plan to reapproach it when you're feeling calm again. Such good advice and so important to make sure that you are calm and in a regulated state so that you can make the best decisions possible for your present and your future self. You have shared such amazing advice on the show today. Where can people find you and how can they work with you? Awesome. Well, uh, I have a website, lbcoaching.com, E-L-B-I-E, or you can find me on Instagram. That's usually where I hang out. I love getting messages from people. Um, again, lb.coaching. And uh, currently I'm taking on clients for my Reset and Rise program. It's a 12-week container where we create a joyful spending plan for you and work through some uh, exercises around, you know, owning your price, uh, engaging safely with your money and joyfully with your money and, and getting over some of those money scripts that some of us carry or all of us carry and rewriting them and determining if we want to maintain that pattern or not. So um, right now that's my only offering uh, and I'll have more stuff coming up in the new year. Sounds good. When does that program start? I, I'm taking people into mid-September and then I'll, I'll stop this container and then it'll start again in January. Perfect. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for sharing and definitely check her out. I appreciate you being on the show. Thank you so much for listening to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Want more content and support? Sign up for the Mental Hump newsletter and get our free Mental Health and Money Inventory Worksheet. You can sign up at mentalhealthandwealth.com and also check out our other blog posts and podcast episodes. Also, we host a Mental Health and Wealth Hangout every other Thursday over Zoom at 5 p.m. Pacific to chat about all things money and mental health. The best part, it is free. If you'd like to support the podcast, it would mean so much to me if you left a review. And you can also support me at ko-fi.com forward slash Melanie Lockhart. And lastly, I want to remind you to do something for yourself to take care of your mental health and wealth.